You're listening to episode eight, the final episode of Mental the Podcast. I'm Sarah Norton. As a warning, the following episode contains intense content that you may find disturbing and is not suitable for children. Your discretion is advised. not get my older son to nap and he used to be like um a great napper but he didn't nap for like four months four months he was two years old he didn't nap and he he needed it and I needed him to have that this is Jackie hers was the first voice you heard back in episode one and I wanted to share her story with you now here in this final episode here she is again and so I would drive. I would, you know, I would nurse a baby, feed him lunch, stick them both in the car, and drive. And I would play music, and I would sing, to, you know, sing songs I usually sang to him to try to get him to fall asleep. And there were times where I would be crying, you know, just crying in the car as I'm driving, singing a song, just praying that he would please just fall asleep. And then I would drive until he fell asleep. And then as soon as the baby woke up, I'd pull over wherever I was. And I'd usually be like an hour out of the cities. And I would nurse the baby again. You know, maybe eat lunch if I packed it or buy something. Pop the baby back in the car seat and drive back home. And then wait until my husband got home. I would sit in the driveway with the kids in the car and wait till he got home. And usually our, my older one was still napping because he napped forever. Um... But I would just sit there and sometimes I would nurse the baby in the front seat and just wait for him to get home. And that was my life. Like it was, it was hard, you know, and it was really lonely. I listened to a lot of podcasts during that time. I also did a lot of knitting because I would sometimes just park and sit and wait, you know, so I would knit, I knit a lot of things um, during that time. We had a very handmade Christmas that year. <laughs> so it was a coping mechanism. It was the way I coped after him. So we're doing things a little differently this episode. I want to get you just a few clips from four final women. The first woman is Jackie, a friend from here in the Twin Cities, who experienced postpartum depression after her second. The second woman is Amanda from Colorado, who experienced post-adoption depression. The third is Nora, another mom from the cities, who experienced peripartum depression. So depression in the before and after time, and really mostly depression prior to birth. She also speaks into anxiety and its connection for her to past trauma and to her situation as being pregnant outside of marriage. And finally, there is Belinda Driver, a psychosexual therapist who has a private practice in London She's a mom herself, and I have a clip from her correlating back to each of the other three interviews. So, with that said, let's get down to business. I met Jackie in a couple's faith-sharing group, and wouldn't you know it, within the first hour of meeting her, she happened to share with the group about her struggle with postpartum depression. As she spoke, I looked at her with deep compassion— then glanced side-eyed at Andy, who was looking at her in the same way and did not return my glance. 
which I knew was his way of saying, hmm, we need to interview her. Jackie's become a great friend. And so getting back to her interview, at this point, she had shared about how her oldest wasn't napping after she had her second. And she talked about how she coped with the exhaustion and the loneliness. I asked her next to describe her rock bottom and the time leading up to it, how that was for her. You know, it was the hardest transition. So the transition to do was hard. Our living situations were not ideal. And it took me a while to realize that I had postpartum depression. So when I finally um, hit rock bottom Mm -hmm. after our second son, um, I would say it was like over the course of a couple days where I realized that I was like screaming at them. Mm -hmm. And it was a scream that was, like it wasn't me. It wasn't my voice. It wasn't, the scream wasn't a voice that I recognized. It was like something that just came out of me. And I realized now it was just this very physical, like, experience. I was so anxious and so angry that, you know, things weren't going the way I thought they would go, or I just was, you know, kind of debilitated by by the depression and the fear of being alone with them. And there was a day where I could not get my older son to nap. And, you know, finally he said he had to use the potty. And I'm like, okay, fine. You know, and I had I had gotten the baby down to sleep. And I knew there was only so much time where those naps would overlap where I'd get a break to myself. We're talking like 20 minutes, but I needed, I needed those 20 minutes for my sanity. I needed or I was going to blow. And, you know, he had to use the potty. And I'm thinking, great, the baby's going to wake up soon. I'm not going to have a second to myself. Now, in a healthier state of mind, I can say, okay, it's a day. You don't get a second. Your husband's going to be home in a few hours. You'll be fine. You'll you'll get, you know, but in the, with what I was experiencing, it felt like the end of the world is what it felt. Everything felt like the end of the world. <laughs> and so I'm, you know, I'm sitting there on the edge of the tub and he's, um, you know, he's on the toilet and I, I had, you know, I wasn't crying and I wasn't screaming but I could feel the tightness in my chest and I could feel my breathing accelerating. And I had this thought, like, if I could bash my head on the sink, I would probably get admitted somewhere. And then maybe I could get some sleep. And then I got scared that I had that thought. Like, it was scary that I could even think, like, that I would hurt myself just to get away from my children. And so I text a friend and I said, you know, and she knows my history because I, I have, you know, a history of depression, and anxiety anyway. Um, and it's generally really manageable. It, it, But this is like a new beast. I had not, you know, thought these kind of thoughts. And, you know, she she kind of talked me down from the ledge. I was like, okay, like, you know, take some deep breaths. You need to start breathing. Can you breathe now? Um, and really encouraged me to talk to my husband about it. And so... You know, and I, you know, would tell him that I have hard days, but I never really told him about all the thoughts that, I, that were going through my head. Um, and I think it maybe had, might have been the next day. Um, I was still feeling just really weak, um, and not able to to handle the normal stuff. And so, you know, he had to leave to work, and as he left, the kids were already screaming. 
And I could see in his eyes every day when he left, I could see the concern, you know, and I, <laughs> he'd look at me and I would, you know, hair is a mess, haven't washed in days, when's the last time I showered, I can't remember, the kids are screaming, like no one's fed, I might get to eat in a few hours, like, I'm, you know, we're clearly not doing very well. And, and he left for work and like they would just, they would not stop screaming. And then I just screamed, not even at them. I wasn't even facing them when it happened. I was like facing the kitchen sink and then it scared them even more, you know, and then we were all just a mess and I called him right away and I said, you have to come home. Like I can't be alone with them right now. Like I need someone to be here. And I couldn't imagine. It was 7.30 in the morning, so I could not even imagine going through the day. I couldn't imagine recovering from that. So he came home, and we went on like a two-hour-long walk, the whole family. He packed the kids up and went down, you know, by the river walk and just walked and walked and walked. And it was really good to get some fresh air. And... He made some phone calls. He called our insurance to make sure we had coverage for, you know, counseling. And I contacted a few friends and asked for recommendations for a therapist in the area. And we called and made an appointment. And so I had an appointment set up. And there was something about getting an appointment set up that was just really freeing even. Like, there's a weight lifted when you know you can get in to get some help. And so that was huge. I totally relate to how just the act of setting up an appointment and knowing I could get help, I could take the step, was so huge. In her interview, Jackie had some great points about social media. I won't have the chance to share those clips, but she made a great distinction between how social media can be a detriment and the ways in which it can be a help, a tool. Jackie herself puts a lot of tools out there online. She's a devotional writer for blessedisshe.net. She has a blog, and she really has a great vision on this. Look her up. Jackie Skimp. S-K-E-M-P. At the end of our interview, I asked Jackie what she wanted to say to encourage other moms. It's so easy to be consumed by everyone else's opinion of how you should parent. And it is good to learn it from other people's experience and listen. But I think sometimes we, we forget that we can filter out those things as well. And we can decide what works for my family right now. And what might work for your family might not work for another family. And I think as a mom, it's so important to take time for yourself. We don't grow up in the kind of communities that people used to live in. Um, my family is from Mexico, and we would go and visit, and I remember, you know, I'd stay at my cousin's house sometimes, and they live in a, in a small, you know, neighborhood, and all the moms were outside with each other, you know, they'd be chatting together on the corner or in front of someone's house, and the kids are running around, and... You know, by no means is it perfect, but if a mom needed to go run an errand, she could say, hey, can you just watch my kid for a while? Or, like, moms could connect out literally just outside their front doors. They were, they were able to connect with other women um, and see each other parent and support each other. And we just, I mean, we ha yeah, we have Facebook and we have text messaging and whatever, but it's not the same. 
you know? And so we have to be really intentional about taking care of ourselves. And I think, you know, like I have a friend who at this season in life, we are kind of alternating when we're having our babies. And at the end of my last pregnancy, I got really sick. So I was just sick anyway, but then I got like a stomach bug where I couldn't even keep catering down. It was really bad. I mean, I probably was pretty close to being hospitalized, but you know, she came over. Um, she left her kids with her husband who happened to be home that day. She came over and she watched my kids for a couple of hours so that I could go sleep. And I literally just turned on the sound machine, closed the door, and slept. That's huge. Like, it, it seems like such a simple thing, but, like, it's so tangible, right? It's it's on the ground, you know, help. Um, and not just, hey, like, I'm thinking of you. No, like, I'm actually going to show up. And I'm going to sit here so your kids can sleep. You know, I, when she had her second baby, I remember going and hanging up her underwear to dry. You know, like, doing her, like, throwing a load in and just being very, you know, like, really helpful, you know, with basic things. And so I think, like, things like bringing meals to people is really important um, and accepting that kind of help, too, you know, and being willing to say, I need you to come and sit here with me. Having now interviewed a lot of moms, I can certainly recognize, I bet you can too, how Jackie's story really rhymes with the stories of many of the women we've heard from. Each story is so unique, but in many ways, hers follows a pattern of what might be thought of as a classic presentation of postpartum depression. In contrast, we have Amanda's story. It almost felt like I got dropped. Like, I fell off a cliff or something, and, like, I, I had a loss of identity in some ways. I wanted to share Amanda's story because hers is another example of post-adoption depression. And it is a contrast, of course, but it's interesting how very much the same is her experience to a typical experience like Jackie's. You know, I'll talk about multiple things that kind of I experienced after, you know, they came home. But one of the big things for me was I'm just this person that loves to just do, 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 crash things off, task-oriented. I got to accomplish things, which that's not necessarily a good thing at all. Mm-hmm. So then, pot, like, stopping all that to just stay home and focus on the small things at home was really, really tough for me just because I felt like I had nothing to do anymore other than just kind of hang out at home and kind of repeat the same cycle every day. Um, And that was very, very challenging for me um, and kind of led to a a restlessness, if you will. Um, Even though I was so happy and so blessed to, to be their mom and you know, there was very much, you know, there was so much celebration finding out we were adopting in both instances and so much anticipation and so much excitement leading up to their births. And even when they came home, just nothing but uh, joy in my vocation as a mother. But then there was always still this thing I was kind of grappling with interiorly. And I think it was magnified most um, after the birth of our, our second daughter. She was in the NICU actually for four weeks. Mm. And I couldn't even, I could not even hold her for the first 14 mm. days. Um, and there's just something as, you know, adoptive moms, I think there's always this fear. It's totally, it's, it's kind of irrational, but it's there of like, 
will the baby like me and will I like the baby? You know, we didn't have nine months in, in the womb to connect. And mm-hmm. there's always that question of like, is it going to happen? And it does. Um, yeah. But I know that after she was born and I couldn't even hold her for 14 days and we were dealing with the NICU thing and, you know, she almost died a couple times and it was a very long month. Um, coming home from that, was even harder for me. Again, her sense of feeling lost, feeling dropped, feeling a loss of identity. It's so parallel to the things many moms feel after birth and with postpartum depression. Though, of course that, wondering will the baby love and accept me, that thought may be different. I asked Amanda a similar question to what I'd asked Jackie. Could she describe her rock bottom and the time leading up to it? So in the midst of all of this emotional stuff, you know, we're going through and we've added another baby to our family. You know, like I said, we were in the middle of a cross-country move. We just moved state. We had, you know, no friends or support system, which that right there magnified things, tens of thousands. Um, we were living with my parents as we were house shopping. Um, and... You know, that's just also tough to bring bring a new baby home into a place that's not even your own. Um, and, you know, my husband started a new job. And then in the middle of that, we decided, hey, let's launch our business. Um, just, you know, some fantastically stressful things all at the same time. Um, so after about 10 months of kind of getting worn down, this last April it was, um, is I would say, I would call that rock bottom. And I remember just feeling like I was like the lose it mom. And that's just not me by temperament or nature. And it just felt like every, every hour I was like losing it about something. You know, a dish didn't get done. Somebody pooped their diaper. I mean, things that were just like, these are normal things that are going to happen. But I could not it was like I just went off the handle about it all, and I got so scared because it's just not me. I'm not the rage-out girl. You know, I know that sometimes people struggle with that, but that's, that's not something I've usually battled, and I did not like that. And I remember distinctly, um, <laughs> it's a very fresh, you know, it was, I don't know how much detail to share, but I'll just share it because I think women can relate to yeah. this. Uh, we had gotten a, a brand-new mattress, and it was kind of like laid out, airing out in our bedroom. And I walked in and my toddler had gotten into my garbage can and uh, found all the bloody tampons and pads and was draw- like squishing them into the mattress and playing with them on the mattress. And <laughs> I, I mean, that's disgusting, but my goodness, like I, that just, I raged out and I got so upset and it's just a mattress like me on a good day is like oh well let's just get the shop back and clean it up you know mm-hmm. but I in that moment I it was like the months of the tidal waves had come and they just crushed me and I screamed at my toddler and I had never done that before in this way and I scared her and she was crying and like oh it just I felt horrible and I remember putting my kids down for a nap that afternoon and this is when I know rock bottom hit. I called my husband and I don't even, it's so weird. Like looking back on this moment, I don't even relate to me in that moment, but I was not, 
I was not myself and I was not thinking clear. And I told him that I was going to pack my bag and I was just going to leave for a while. And he was like, what are you talking about? Like, you need to get away for a weekend, just like a mom recharge. He's like, that's good. I'm cool with that. And I said, no, I just need to leave. And I'm never, I might not come back for a couple of years. I got to go figure out my anger. And he was like, what is, what the hell is going on? You know, and he, he went into full on, like, we need to figure this out mode immediately. And I remember he came home from work and kind of helped me snap out of it and realize that something was going on interiorly with me. And, you know, quickly thereafter, we, you know, he was like, You're, he called a counselor, got me in counseling. He made sure I went in to get my hormones evaluated. And it turns out I was in like full-blown, um, they call it premenstrual dysphoric disorder. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, combined with like the adoption and the post-adoption depression. I mean, hormonally, I was rocked. I was rock bottom. I had I was so suboptimal in my hormones that it was kind of a grace that I was functioning at all, ever. Mm. Um, so he's the, the light that just kind of saved me in that moment and pushed me towards the medical treatment I needed. And shortly thereafter, I was in counseling every week, talking through all the struggles from the year, mostly things that related to the adoption um, and the NICU and just stress and guilt. And then also I got on a couple different medications and supplements and specifically low-dose naltrexone. Mm -hmm. And it was like, um, and we tried a couple other functional medicine things. And within a month's time, it was like I had turned back to myself. Finally, I asked Amanda, what would she like to say to other moms, especially moms adopting? Yeah, I guess if I could say anything, you know, what I wish somebody would have said to me um, back in the beginning was, um, you know, sometimes our society likes to paint adoption like it's sunshine and rainbows and that there's, it's just, you know, it's this happy ending. Um, And it, it can be. And at the end of the day, there's so much beauty even in the loss that happens there. Even, you know, for anybody in the adoption triad from birth families to adoptive families to the child who came into the family through adoption. Um, But there's also really hairy and really complicated emotions that come with it, Um, especially if you have an open adoption where you're continually in touch with the birth family and it's going to just continue to, for a lifetime, be associated with different emotions, up and downs, all of that kind of stuff. And I think plugging into a community of other women who've gone through the same thing is vital. And then not only, so either on Facebook or in real life, probably most helpful if it's in real life. Um, And then talking specifically about those emotions, because I was part of several groups where we like talked about like, oh, we brought our babies home. Like, let's just talk about new mom stuff. But none of us like talked about the emotions that can come with it. We did a little bit, but we weren't, none of them lived near me. So we couldn't really get into the nitty gritty of it. Um, and I needed that. So finding people that you can talk with almost weekly in the beginning of just like how you are doing emotionally with processing everything, I think is really important. And then if you are noticing that you're feeling that some of these symptoms that can manifest in post-adoption depression, just immediately 
seek out um, help from your, your OBGYN or a counselor um, just to evaluate what's going on with you and your body because um, there really there typically is something if you're experiencing all these symptoms and there's help out there. Um, don't wait like me. Don't bury your head under the sand. <laughs> don't hit rock bottom. You don't have to go there. Um, that's what I would say. I love how Amanda's advice is so well tailored to mom's post-adoption. In another contrast to the planning that goes into adoption, we have Nora's story. You know, I just, I think in my mind, I built up this whole scenario. Like, everybody knows, everybody knows what I did. Everybody knows, you know, I was judging. And Nora is talking about an unplanned pregnancy and how her thoughts of what others thought of her impacted her state of mind during pregnancy. It's not something that I should have gotten so caught up in, but I did, and so I didn't share the news with really anybody but my family and, like, really close friends for a long time. Uh, And actually, I remember the first time I, like, posted it on Facebook, I (laughs) I didn't say anything. I just posted a picture of Charlotte in her Halloween costume when she was, what, how many months? Three months old. <laughs> and didn't say anything, just posted it because <laughs> I know, it was so ridiculous. Instead of being like, hey, you know, like making it joyous, like, you know, we had a baby, I was just kind of like, hey guys, oh, here's my baby. Because <laughs> I, um, I don't, I don't even know. I like, I felt like I was ready, but I felt like enough people knew that I didn't, I don't know, it was kind of weird, but... So it was tough, and it took a while for me to really accept it, you know, accept the fact that uh, I was where I was, and I, you know, we had Charlotte, and uh, and I accept the fact that I needed to forgive myself for it, because I'd always been taught sex before marriage is wrong, and I still believe that, And but I guess now I'm a little more like, okay, like, God is forgiving, you know, and, and that's something that... And I think a lot of times we just have to forgive ourselves for that or myself. I mean, um, but so, but as far as, you know, being depressed after, you know, she was born, I didn't struggle as much with, with that. I think it was more like when I was pregnant and just accepting that. So, um, but yeah. I asked Nora about her now husband how he is doing, and she really told me about how he reacted to her pregnancy. He, he was so cute. When we, when we first found out, I started crying. I was like, what am I going to do? How am I going to handle this? Like where, like, where do I go from here? I live in Minnesota. All of my family lives in Ohio. I have no family here. And I knew I wanted to be with Tim, but I wanted to be with my family. Um, but he was really supportive. I mean, from the very beginning, he was crying, but he was, he was like happy crying. <laughs> he was he was so excited, so happy about it, and he was so reassuring. And I think really that was something that was tremendous that helped so much. And I like I can't imagine women who have a baby and don't have that support like. Yeah, I, it just would have been so much harder. But he was so supportive throughout the whole thing. And he, and it really proved to me that he was the, the one I wanted to be with because 
he was there the whole time and he made so many sacrifices for us for Charlotte and I like whether it was financially or just his time or whatever it was like he was just yeah he was always supportive so that was yeah that was so so amazing yeah Nora had mentioned to me that her experience peripartum involved more anxiety than depression, and so I asked her to speak into how that felt for her, and she shared about its roots and the first times it manifested. Well, it all began when I was in high school, and <laughs> you're talking. And, um, I was dating someone who was really good. He was a really, just a good guy. Came from a great family. and But whenever we would be more intimate, like kissing or something, I um, would just get so much anxiety. Just like, it just felt like someone had put a two pound weight on my chest and it was hard to breathe and I was shaking and would start going into panic attacks. And I didn't know why. I couldn't figure it out. And it was just kept happening over and over. And, you know, whenever we were in a moment like that, even just like hugging and sitting next to each other, like I would just get this overwhelming, just like fear and just weight on my chest. And it was hard to breathe. And, and, uh, finally I, we, there was one night where I had a panic attack for about three hours and it just like, just kept going and it, and it felt so like it felt felt like someone was holding a gun to my head. Like all of those emotions that go through your head, all those fears, I uh, it felt like that. Like someone was was there, like holding a gun to my head and, and so it was just like the sweating and just like fear that that would bring on. And so um after that I did see a counselor uh, just once because my parents didn't really not that they didn't believe in counselors but I think it was kind of seen as like a weakness like oh you don't need that you're fine you just need to pray you just you know like you'll be fine and so but at that point I just knew like no this is a little more than that and I need to figure out what is at the base because there's something there that is keeping me from being intimate whether whatever that meant you know just hugging or kissing or whatever and so I did and um just that one appointment helped so much just to open my eyes to see like okay there is something going on and I can't ignore it as much as I want to push it away and I remember one thing she said to me which has had an impact even till now is you have control and with anxiety, that is one thing that, um, that's one thing that you feel. Like, I don't have control. And there's that, that fear that comes from that. But when I was able to, in those moments when I was about to have a panic attack or just felt that weight on my chest, I had to just stop and be like, no, I am in control. Like, I don't have to give away to this fear. I don't have to be a victim of it. Like I can take control and I can keep in different ways. I take control of my breathing so I can slow my breathing down. I can bring myself out of this before I even get bad. And that has helped me so much. And just 
asking for help that one time, going to that um, counselor that one time just really helped so much. Um, but I still struggled with it, you know, like throughout the years. And and um, I don't know if this is too deep, but <laughs> I was sexually abused when I was little. And so... As time went on, I started to realize why I was having those panic attacks. And I realized that I needed to go back to that point in my life and to face it and to be like, no, I'm not going to let this control my relationships. I'm not going to let this control who I am. And as a woman, like, let this weigh me down for the rest of my life. I need to face it. And the more I started facing it, and the more I started to recognize those triggers that I had that would bring that on, the more I was able to heal from it and let go of it. And it's taken a long time, mostly because I've been stubborn. Yeah. <laughs> mostly because I didn't want to ask yeah. for help. So now it's something that I still, you know, comes about every so often, but I haven't had a panic attack in a long time, which has been so nice. Nora and her husband married almost two years ago, and their second is about six months old. She had mentioned to me, too, that she actually experienced and struggled peripartum again with her second. I asked her, finally, if she could speak into that. Sure, yeah. That was actually really surprising, actually, because I thought, this is my second baby. I've done this before, and... For some reason, I just really, yeah, I just really struggled. Like, I don't, I don't know. I am, like, I'm still processing it. Yeah. <laughs> but I just, yeah, just really struggled with, like, low self-esteem and just anxiety overall. Like, just felt like I wasn't doing a good enough job as a mom. And, you know, there's also that, little bit of fear of like okay how is this gonna go with another baby am I gonna love them the same amount how is this gonna pan out and so I just really like most of the time when I was pregnant for her I you know I didn't hang out with friends much I just wanted to be alone I just wanted to stay inside and I didn't want to be open with people and I knew I should have you know there's always and that also, like, piles on the guilt, you know, like, oh, I should be getting out more, I should be, like, opening up to people, like, you know, um, but I just really, uh, like, didn't want to leave the house ever, didn't want to see my neighbors, um, just a lot more anxiety about just little things, and, and I just wasn't able to just let it go, it just felt like this dark cloud, and it was a little bit different though with um than with you know what I experienced before with like anxiety with the panic attacks it was a different feeling I guess more I guess a cloud would be a good example just like <laughs> I'm trying to think of what kids movie that is it's an Eeyore that's always yeah, like yeah, yeah. it's just always like this dark cloud just always gloomy yeah. like <laughs> yeah. you can tell I have kids when yeah, I yeah, use kids I movies yeah, yeah. but um yeah just hadn't lost a lot of interest for things and just 
nothing was just like able to bring me happiness and I just really was like should I say something should I talk to a doctor about this and um I ended up not doing it and I think just going back to the whole thing of like it was just so ingrained in me that like talking to people was is kind of a weakness and so I and it's not at all like in fact I think that shows even more strength to be able to acknowledge your weaknesses and to ask for help it takes a lot of strength and I think it's you know it's beautiful that a lot of women nowadays I'm noticing are coming out and saying like I need help and I'm struggling with this and I need other women and I need even just professional help or medication, whatever it is. It's beautiful. So I interviewed all these moms over the course of a few months, but really after I had interviewed nearly all of them, I happened to reconnect with the mother-in-law of a friend of mine, Belinda Driver. She is a psychosexual therapist in the UK a woman of deep faith. I asked her if she would like to interview too, and we had an amazing conversation. I took several clips from the interview that I think connect with these last three moms and what they shared. First, when I think of Jackie's story, I think of the classic presentation of postpartum depression, but I also just think of how she struggled with just being tired, lack of sleep, and Belinda spoke into that. I've always thought, having had three sons myself, that as a mother, if we could be guaranteed eight hours sleep a night, that would be fantastic. But let's kind of cut that down, keep it a little bit more realistic to six hours. And let's not be silly about this, these six hours a night that we're going to get. Let's cut it down to four hours guaranteed uninterrupted sleep a night. I think that if mums were guaranteed that, having a baby and those early days would be just so much easier because sleep deprivation is an awful thing and you know that there's a reason and I mean this quite seriously although I'm saying it with a smile on my face there's a reason why sleep deprivation is used as a form of torture because it disorientates the brain and so when we connect that with depression of any kind and we connect that to um, postpartum depression, not only are you dealing with the the sleep deprivation and the depression, but you have this crying baby that needs to be fed, changed, loved, when you hardly feel able to feed, clean and look after yourself. This makes me think of something Andy told me the other day. He was talking to a young woman who said she thinks it will be really hard for her when she's a mom and can't get her eight hours plus she needs each night. She said to him, but I guess I'll get the grace I need at that time. Andy, ever the optimist, and with his typical tact, replied, yeah, you may get the grace and you may get mental illness too. He went on to explain that he goes out of his way much further out of his way than he would have expected to do, to make sure that I get sleep, doing whatever that really might take some days. For us, sleep is bedrock, the sine qua non. 
Something else Belinda talked about totally resonated with something Amanda mentioned, about how, in her struggle with depression post-adoption, she didn't feel like herself. She felt like she had lost her identity. She felt disassociated with how she used to be. I totally felt the same thing, and Belinda talked really poetically about healing in this area of identity. You know, sometimes it's something very simple, you know, what it might be, what does, you know, what does your husband think about where you are now? What changes has he, he or other family members or friends noticed? It might be sometimes that I will say, tell me about you before the baby. Tell me about you when you were at your happiest. Let's connect with that. And then slowly that starts to draw the person out. Because in my experience, what happens is that the the mother is lost in a desert on her own with a storm blowing all around her. And she doesn't know where to look. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how to feel at all. And so for me, it's about looking at how we can actually get her to come out of that desert, get her to ground herself, get her to look at who she is, get her to connect with that, so that even in the middle of that desert with the storm all around her, she's beginning to think, how can I get out of this? She's beginning to connect with herself, who she used to be. And that's really scary when the storm's around and you can't see that and you can't feel that. And so, you know, certainly for me, sometimes it's the most simplest of of um, suggestions that will bring about a big change. Another point Belinda made, I thought related to Nora's story, Speaking into that feeling of shame, such a common thread in the stories of postpartum or peripartum depression. So when I've dealt with it in the past, one of the most important things for me to say, I think, to to the mother is that in talking it through with me, it's important that they're able to say what is in their heart without feeling the shame without feeling the blame and that actually this thing that's happened to them is not their fault it is not their fault and that the most important thing that they can do is to seek help to ask for help whether that comes through their doctor and a therapist or whether it's just a doctor or whether it's just a therapist initially the most important thing is to ask for help and Certainly in my experience, when people have come to me with this condition, it's almost as if there is this sense of relief that actually somebody has heard me. Actually, although I feel at times that I'm completely crazy, I'm not. Finally, I did ask Belinda what she would like to say to encourage moms. And I think her words are the perfect summation to end on with this final episode. 
giving life to something is one of the most beautiful things that we can do. But with that comes a roller coaster of emotions. And it's really important, I think, for young mums to know that it's okay not to get everything right. It's okay not to have everything looking perfect. It's okay not to have your house or your home as you would really want it to be. It's, it's hard work, but it's wonderful. It's wonderful work. And when it feels like it's not wonderful work, it's okay to say that. Seek help and seek support. And I think the most important thing that I would say is to love yourself in this. So I'm standing in my kitchen where it all began and I guess where it ends for now. In this kitchen, I threatened many times to leave it all. I told my husband I would run away and never come back. That was in the deep throes of postpartum depression, of course. Actually, there were a couple times I really did hop in the car, drive away, and he had no idea if I was coming back and when. I would let him stew for a while. It was awful. Sometimes in the depths of it all, I think it has been important to just get out of the situation. Run away, sort of. But really, I don't want to run away. My place is here. The heart of it all. If the heart's not here, how's this family going to keep going? If I am to run away, it's just to run away with the kids out on a walk in the fresh air, or to run away with my husband on a sweet little date, or to run away to prayer with my God, to run away to time where friends can be present to me and where I can give back to others. It has been an honor and a pleasure to spend time hearing stories with Mental the Podcast, but I think I have some tools now, some insight. And I know my heart will want to run away, but I think it knows where to run. So that's all for now on Mental. Special thanks to Andy Norton, my husband, producer, writer, editor, caretaker, and support. To Matt, Michelle, and Amelia for their help. To the experts, the moms, especially the moms, and all you listeners and supporters, friends and strangers, thank you. Finally, I'd like to thank my children, and especially my daughter, the one who told me to go to the doctor 
and who's listened to us talk about postpartum depression for months on end. It's no wonder, then, that she recorded a little something on my phone the other week without me knowing when she was in the other room. We'll end with her little recording. Enjoy. I love my mom because she's so nice. And do you know why? Because she's so big. That's all I want to tell you. Bye-bye. On mental. I love my mom because I want to be a mom soon when I get bigger. And do you know why? No, I say, um, tell me, tell me, why, why, why? No, I want to tell you. Ha, 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 I tricked you. I want to be the good mom, just like my mom. Bye-bye, I'm mental. I'm mental. Do you know Mental is a good series? No, I want to tell you it. I know about Mental because my mom is doing Mental for fun. And, and it's going to be for two weeks. And then she will be done.